Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the opening drive on 101 ESPN with Brooke Grimsley and Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker, and it has become a opening day tradition here on my shows on 101 ESPN to visit with the Ford Frick Award winner from 2018, Our Town's Bob Costas. Bob, good morning. Hi, Randy. How you doing? Doing great. And always, we always look forward to opening day, and I know that this is one of your highlight days mm-hmm. of the year, too. Yeah, it is. And although people can accuse me of provincialism, it really is different in St. Louis than almost anywhere else. There's just a different feeling around it. And when those Hall of Famers come back in their red jackets and all the tradition and the appreciation of the history of Cardinal baseball. And I've said this so many times that people are probably tired of hearing me say it. But in St. Louis, you have that combination of knowledge and passion, but also appreciation and civility. Other places may be as passionate. Few places have the combination of all those things that makes baseball in St. Louis so special. And Bob, we were so spoiled for so many years, and we will have the Cardinal Hall of Famers, and we'll have Ozzy and Whitey and Ted Simmons, but when we had Red and Stan and Bruce Suter and Bob Gibson and Lou Brock, guys that we've lost over the course of the last decade, we were so spoiled by having all those guys every single year on opening day. Yeah, and you might add to that list Tim McCarver. Right. Uh, who passed away only recently and has such St. Louis ties, not just because of his years with three pennant winners in the 60s, but his partnerships with Jack Buck, Joe Buck, and even briefly myself, and and with Dan McLaughlin when he came back to do 40 or 50 games uh, more recently. So Tim is a, a an integral part of baseball history. I'm very sad that we lost him. Well, Bob, someone who will be wearing a red jacket one day is Adam Wainwright. Can you believe that this will be his final season? I know that it's tough that he's going to be starting on the injured list, but what are your expectations for his final season as a Cardinal, really the end of an era? Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't surprise me, Brooke. He's into his 40s. He's had a tremendous career, a borderline Hall of Fame career. Uh, there may be exceptional days or nights where he's able to go deeper, but I think the expectation would be if Wainwright is at his best more often than not and gives you five, maybe six good innings, this is modern baseball, and he's in his 40s, that's all they signed him for. Bob, uh, on the opposite end of, of Adam Wainwright, you got a young man named Jordan Walker who has been touted by most as one of the top prospects in baseball and predicted by some to win Rookie of the Year. What does it mean to have a guy that is that good for the fan base and for the organization um, to be predicted, be projected to be that good in, 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 the, in the organization? Yeah, Kerry, it's just another thing to be excited about as opening day uh, is upon us and the Cardinals being fiscally responsible, not stingy, but fiscally responsible, rely heavily on a very good, consistently good farm system. And here's another example of that. And I can tell you there's excitement about Jordan Walker 
outside St. Louis. They're talking about him a lot on the Major League Baseball Network. Uh, he's definitely uh, drawn notice this spring. And if he lives up to his potential, we don't want to put too much pressure on him right away. You know, people sometimes draw judgments after like a week of at-bats. Uh, but if, if he's allowed to kind of settle in, and it looks like he's comfortable to begin with, but if he's allowed to get his stride against real regular season major league pitching and in that big league environment, uh, it seems like he has a very high ceiling. Bob, over the years, you and I have talked a lot about the dissolution of real action in the sport. I think Baseball A did a really good thing in bringing Theo Epstein in to try to figure out mm-hmm. how, to, how to change things. What are your impressions of what the rules changes will bring to the sport? Well, I'm generally very favorably inclined toward them. And when you mentioned Theo, uh, I've said this on the air and I said it to him. They brought you in to rein in the monster you helped to create. (laughs) Dr. Frankenstein, what do we do now? You're the guy who created it. How do we stop it? (laughs) And you can't blame him. He applied analytics, and that was copied. Obviously, started with Billy Bean in Oakland, and now that seems almost rudimentary uh, with how sophisticated the analytics have become. The reason why Epstein and others and Jeff Lunau and others did it is because it works, and you can't ask anyone to give up a competitive edge just because it would make baseball better as an entertainment product. So central baseball had to legislate it. And the idea that this is newfangled, no, this is back to the future. This this is baseball as it was in the 80s and 90s. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but one of the things baseball did in its due diligence, we know that they – set it in motion for a couple of years in the minor leagues, and they had all kinds of test cases. But they also superimposed the clock over memorable games from the 80s and 90s. And almost always, whether it was 20 seconds with a man on base or 15 seconds with the bases empty, almost always, with no imperative to do it, the pitchers and the hitters beat the clock, sometimes two pitches within that framework. And when, the, when it was first proposed, and I was in favor of it, I said to Tom Verducci, who was one of the most insightful baseball observers out there, I said to Tom, don't you want the umpires to have some discretion? Because there are some situations that are just so dramatic that you don't mind the wait. It builds the anticipation and drama. And as one example, I said, what about Kirk Gibson's at-bat in the World Series in 1988? off Dennis Eckersley, the pinch hit home run that turned the whole World Series around, one of the most theatrical moments in baseball history. And Tom agreed, but then he went back and put a stopwatch on the at-bat. And believe it or not, in a World Series game, with the tying run on base and two outs in the bottom of the ninth, there wasn't one instance where there would have been a clock violation. Under these rules, you're allowed, the batter's allowed to call one timeout. And Gibson did ask for timeout just before the 3-2 pitch. And, of course, the clock resets after a foul ball, and he hit a little trickler up the first baseline, and he had to limp back into the batter's box. But even checking the runner first, and Mike Davis stole second during the at-bat, never once did it take more than 20 seconds once the clock had started for Eckersley to deliver to Gibson. And it clearly didn't cause any problems either. Eckersley didn't need that time. As a matter of fact, I, I remember the at-bat because, it, like you said, it was a lot of pitches. He followed a few, few pitches off, if oh, I recall. Right. And mm-hmm. it seemed like the, bat, the at-bat lasted a long time, but it was because of the number of pitches that were being thrown, not the time yeah. between the, two, the pitches that were being thrown. That, that's, that's right. And all the foul balls and the 3-2 count, and 
and everything else. What you do hope is that in spring training, the umpires are calling it to the letter of the rule just to get everybody used to it. You don't want to see in a big game, you don't want to see literally the game end on either a ball or a strike that's called because of a clock violation. Um, you don't you don't want that to happen. That would not be in the spirit of the rule. Uh, but we hope that everyone will get into a natural rhythm so that that doesn't arise too often. You and I are both old school, although we're not immune to change. But if we look at the NBA with the three-point shot and they outload the, the zone defense for a while, and if we look at the NFL enforcing defensive holding, and if we look at hockey taking out the red line, every sport seems to want more scoring, right? Yeah, and you want more action, yep. which is connected to scoring, but is not exactly the same thing. And when shifts first became prevalent, we thought, well, this is really affecting slow-footed, left-handed power hitters who hit a ball through what would have been the hole and somebody throws them out from short right field. Or they're so frustrated by it that they don't try to hit the ball on the ground or even hit a line drive. They try to hit it over the shift, and that may lead to more home runs but also leads to more strikeouts. But what you realized as time went by was that a lot of balls right up the middle, that in your mind's eye, as soon as it went past the pitcher, you said before the camera shifted, if you were watching the game on television, that's a base hit. Oh, no, it's not. There's someone standing right there. And you can't blame them for doing it because the analytics work. So not only does that take away a base hit, but it also takes away the potential great play by an Ozzie Smith-type shortstop diving to his left or an athletic second baseman diving to his right. You're going to need more athletic infielders under this new setup uh, or those that already have the athleticism. It'll be on display more, and there'll be more runners on base. Uh, That's already happened in spring training. There are more more ground ball base hits. They've already tracked all that. You'll have more guys on base. The larger bases that look like pizza boxes to some people, (laughs) you know, may, may take some getting used to. But I was watching the Yankee game against the Rays a little while ago, uh, spring training game, and Michael Kay, the Yankee announcer, noted about their uh, really exciting young uh, rookie shortstop, Anthony Volpe. He stole 50 bases last year in the minor leagues where they had the bigger bases. And he said that that made a difference. Even though it may seem like just a tiny little bit, it's a few inches closer on either side. And even the threat of it, and the fact that you can only throw over twice And if you throw over a third time, unless you pick the guy off, it's a balk. You know, that's just going to create – I don't know that it's going to be the reincarnation of Vince Coleman, but it's going to create more action or even the possibility of action. A guy's dancing off the base. The pitcher's distracted. Baseball in recent years, as much as we love it, has too often been static. Now it'll feel like there's more motion and more stuff going on. Well, piggybacking off of that, Bob, how different will these changes you're talking about – speeding up the pace of play. How different will this be for players, fans, and even broadcasters like you? I think it's all good. You know, I started broadcasting major league games in the 80s and through the 90s before resuming again when uh, the baseball network came into being in 2009. And it's always been a storyteller's game. Jack Buck did it. Vin Scully did it under the previous circumstances. You want a pleasing leisurely pace. You don't want a plodding lethargic pace and that's what baseball is doing and like randy said earlier we're not against the game changing the tradition matters more and history matters more in baseball than in any other sport but it's always evolved through its history the question is do you do it 
intelligently. And it seems as if baseball has thought this through and has done it intelligently. Will there be some pitchers and hitters who will take a while to adjust? Yeah, and we think about the pitchers, but think of how many hitters have been conditioned to step out of the box after taking ball one, and now they step out of the box. They didn't even foul the ball off. Nothing happened. They step out of the box. What they're doing is they're programming in their head, what is this pitcher likely to throw me on 0-1 had that been a strike, as opposed to what it's now 1-0. Okay, thank you, Einstein. Somehow (laughs) Ted Ted Williams and Tony Gwynn and Ty Cobb, they all somehow were able to get by. They all programmed all that stuff in their baseball genius heads without having to take half an hour to do it. So get your tush back in the box and let's go. And I'm talking to you, J.D. Martinez. (laughs) Bob, the World Baseball Classic just ended in dramatic fashion. What were your thoughts on it? I loved it. I loved it more than any of the previous WBCs. It was unfortunate that Altuve got hit by a pitch and was injured, and even more unfortunate that Edwin Diaz, in a celebration, is out for the season, the best closer in the National League last year, and the Mets are set up to have a terrific season. That part was an unfortunate byproduct. But just in terms of the quality of play and the passion for all of it, um, and then you get this dream scenario you couldn't possibly have scripted, uh, Otani against Trout, I I thought it was great. And coupled with um, the real excitement over the changes in the game, um, I think that it sends baseball into this season on on a good note. I'm going to miss Timmy Trumpet this year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Not only is not only is Edwin Diaz on on IR, but Timmy Trumpet has been sidelined. This is just so wrong. It's tragic. It's tragic. Hey, yeah, Bob, it's kind of tragic. Yeah. Bob, what do you think of what Steve Cohen and the Mets and what the Padres are doing from a payroll standpoint? There seems to be a lot of consternation, but over the last ten years, the Mets and Dod- or not the Mets, the, the Yankees and Dodgers have had the one-two payrolls in the league seven times. Two other times they've been in the top four, and they've mm-hmm. got one World Series between them to right. show for it. I'm not as concerned about what the Mets and Padres are doing as a lot of people. What do you think? Well, the Yankees haven't been to the World Series since 2009. The Dodgers have been to the World Series three times, only won it once, and they've really been the best team in baseball on a pretty consistent basis. They won 111 games mm-hmm. last year, then they get tripped up by the Padres. Uh, the Padres' ownership may be not as well-heeled as Steve Cohen, but they're certainly going for it, and they know they're in the same division as the Dodgers, so they can't mess around. Uh, if they're going to be in that division and going to bid for anything other than a wild card, uh, then they've got to step up to the plate, and it seems like they've done it, and they've got a lot of good young talent. They've got a lot of guys. You know, Bogart's, Bogart's a veteran, but he's a young veteran. They, they have a very, very formidable team. And when it comes to the Mets, when it comes to the Mets, here's the deal, right? Steve Cohen has something reportedly $17 billion in personal wealth. So he doesn't care that when you count the luxury tax, his payroll this year is close to a half a billion dollars. His payroll is 41% higher than the Yankees. Wow. <laughs> you know, now here's the thing it's, it's like they say about politics all politics is local. All baseball is local. If it's your team that's doing it, you don't care. If you're sitting in Cincinnati or Pittsburgh, you say, "Oh my gosh, you know, we might as well just, you know, like they do in in European soccer. You move to a lower league. The Pirates could win the International League, you know. On the other hand, if you're Pittsburgh or Cincinnati, somebody says, "Hey, take a look at Tampa. They got a crummy ballpark. They said that, you know, they they maybe get twenty thousand fans a game on a good night." 
and they're competitive every year. So they're doing something, even with limited resources, that you're not. So go and figure it out. Bob, you've done a multitude of sports, baseball, basketball, boxing, football, the Olympics. Which one is your favorite to call? Baseball. Um, baseball has always been my favorite. Uh, basketball, I love the NBA on NBC in the 90s. It was a golden era. And the way what, yes. covered it was, yes. was just terrific. <laughs> um, you know, and I know I'm associated with the Olympics, and, and that was an honor to do. I did a dozen of them. But baseball's always been my favorite sport, and I just like being around it, whether I'm calling it or not. I just like being at the ballpark. I like talking with baseball people. So um, it's not disrespect to any of the others. I, I've enjoyed all of them, but baseball's always been my favorite. Hey, Bob, we're like every radio host in America. We have a tendency to be lazy and do the Jordan versus LeBron thing. I don't think I've ever <laughs> asked you, who's the best ever? Jordan. Um, and here's my reasoning. You could make a case for both of them statistically. And I've put it this way on the air before. LeBron may be equally in his own way, equally excellent, but he will never be as great. If you can appreciate that distinction, Michael Jordan had such an impact on the league and on the whole history of basketball. He's the centerpiece of the NBA during the nineties. He's the centerpiece of the dream team in 92 in Barcelona as the game goes global. And he has more iconic moments, which is not to say he's a better player necessarily, but he has more iconic moments that are locked in the imagination of even casual fans than LeBron or anyone else can approach. And this is what I'm about to say is no disrespect to LeBron. No little old lady in Omaha ever said, Mildred, I'm sorry. I can't play bridge with you tonight. I have to watch LeBron. But a zillion little old ladies like that who didn't know a three-pointer from a pick and roll Hmm. said that about Michael Jordan. I got to watch Michael Jordan. Now, here's another thing. You know, and it's not fair, but there are great players who are not as appealing to watch as other great players. Is LeBron compelling? Yes. In my view, he's not as appealing to watch as Steph Curry. And no one was as appealing to watch as, as Michael Jordan. Magic Johnson was wonderful to watch. Mm-hmm. Larry Bird, in his own unique way, was wonderful to watch. But, but if, you were, if you were casting a movie about basketball and you needed a leading man, even if Denzel Washington was 30 years old and could play basketball, don't, nope, Denzel, <laughs> don't, don't bother. <laughs> we, we got it. And his name is Michael Jordan. You know? so, so he went, in my mind, he wins on that basis. And you know what? If you're second to Michael Jordan, that's, that's like if somebody said, you're the second best player I ever saw, except for Willie Mays. Hmm. Or, or you're, you're the second best I ever saw. I'm 100 years old. You're the second best I ever saw other than Babe Ruth. That's hmm. not bad. You know? <laughs> I'll, take that. I'll take that, too. I, I like that one, Bob. Well, of course, we have to put you on the spot for one last question, at least for me. Yeah. The Cardinals, obviously, as we mentioned, Adam Wainwright, final season. You have Nolan Arnato, Paul Goldschmidt. You have this young superstar in Jordan Walker. How yep. far can the Cardinals take it this season? They can take it very far. Um, it was disappointing that they lost the two straight games for the Phillies, and that one game got away maybe with bad bullpen management that first game that set the stage for the quick two and out. But the Cardinals are in the right division. You know, the, the division helps. Um, you're able, if you're fiscally responsible and you make shrewd moves, 
you can contend in the Central Division. Uh, I think the Cardinals should be the favorite to win it. And once you get there, as the Padres and Phillies proved by getting all the way to the LCS and the Phillies all the way to the World Series, once you get there, almost anything can happen. And while we're at it, Randy knows this, and Kerry and Brooke, you'll get used to it. I always have some sort of big-picture idea because, you know, I'm just trying to be helpful to the game I love. Whether they pay attention to me or not is irrelevant. So here's the deal, right? They expanded the playoffs. It was the right thing to do. It makes sense on any number of levels. But they should tweak it in the following way. No division winner. If you're going to have divisions, it should matter to win it. No division winner should be thrown in with the wild cards in some kind of crapshoot. The Cleveland Guardians shouldn't have had that winning the Central last year, and neither should the Cardinals. So here's what you do. The three division winners are in to the division series, and they wait through the wild card round. But think of wild cards historically. Very often, the best wild card is the second best team in the league. Think about the Dodgers year before last. They won 106, and the Giants won 107. That team is different than the fifth and sixth qualifiers. What they should do is the fifth and sixth qualifiers should play a one-game knockout on the home field of the fifth qualifier. That's already been established. It's happened until last year. That's what the wild card was, a one-game knockout. Think of the Cardinals against the Dodgers in 21. It's exciting. It's an elimination game. And if you came in through the back doors, the fifth or sixth qualifier, you should be subject to that crapshoot, but you should be different than the best wild card. The survivor of the knockout goes to the home field of the best wild card, best two out of three, all three on that field if it goes that far. And then the survivor goes in among the four division winners. Then what you've done is you have gradations of difference based on regular season achievement rather than just kind of throwing them all together the way they are now. That's a way to take something that was an improvement to begin with and make it a little bit better. And I submit this to you and to Rob Manfred, free of charge. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask you, Bob, when you suggest these sorts of things, when, when you're sitting next to Rob Manfred, does yeah. he take it seriously? Does he listen yeah. to your thoughts? Oh, no, he absolutely does. And then sometimes he laughs. He goes, you know, this is why I still get letters saying you should be the commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what sort of uh, MLB network schedule do you have coming up early in the season? Happily, I have three Cardinal games this year. We, I know the whole regular season schedule already, uh, and I have three in St. Louis, one on May 18th against the Dodgers, one on June 28th against the Astros, I think, and one in late August, and I forget who the opponent is. So I'm happy about that. I'm going to do a half dozen games for TBS in April and May because Brian Anderson, who's a terrific young announcer, just did a great job on uh, March Madness, uh, He's busy with the NBA playoffs in April and May. So I'll do a half dozen games for TBS in April and May. I'll do 10 or 11 during the regular season for MLBN. And then in the postseason, I'll do one of the two National League Division Series on TBS with Ron Darrell. We always enjoy hearing your voice and seeing your work. And I always love having you on and uh, the time that you give us on opening day, Bob. Thanks so much. And when you are in town in late, later in April, we'll stop by and see you in the booth. That's great. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Kerry.